TGIM Timari. This is episode 286. Sometimes we don't notice, you know, the habits that we get into, and especially surrounding alcohol, the habits that we get into that people notice and yet they don't say anything. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Jim. Jim took his last drink on April 7th, 2020, and he is 71 years old. I found myself extremely inspired and energized after my interview with Jim. The fact that he has this mindset of it's never too late filled me with hope. We had a great conversation, and I know you guys are going to learn a lot from him. Also, I want to give a special shout out to Chris Oyen today. He hit three years of sobriety yesterday. And another very special shout out to Katie, who does our show notes. She will be celebrating two years later this week. These rock stars add a ton of value to our community. Chris has been doing some amazing work with Paul on the new YouTube videos. And Katie keeps up with all of my rambles and makes sure that you all get it on the show notes. So thank you and congrats to you both. Felicidades. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. A few weeks ago, I finished reading Holly Whitaker's book called Quit Like a Woman. This book is a great resource for people who are wanting to pursue a path without alcohol. It's targeted primarily at women, but it's full of knowledge, insight, and tools that frankly I thought anybody can benefit from. Today, I want to share an acronym that I learned while reading her book, It was a chapter that was addressing cravings and how to engage with cravings. Holly shares about a method that she came up with to assist in disarming cravings. And this method is called RASINS, R-A-S-I-N-S. So not raisins, but rosins. And I really hope I'm saying that right, you guys. This acronym stands for Recognize, Allow, Set Aside the Story, Investigate What is Happening in Your Body, name the sensations, and surf. The goal, she says, is to learn to relax into the craving rather than distract ourselves from it. Using this practice, we learn to stay in the discomfort and witness our suffering instead of creating more suffering. So I'm going to share a little bit more about how this raisins, not raisins, raisin bran is good though. Who likes raisin bran? Anyway, I'm going to explain a little bit more about how raisins works. So a practical example of this, which is also shared in the book, is the routine of getting home after work and wanting a drink. With COVID, most of us are working from home. So let's just say you are done with your 197th Zoom call for the day and you're ready. You're ready to relax. You're ready to unwind and bam, the craving hits. So this is where you would want to just go for that glass of vino. And instead, this is the approach of rosins and how you would put it into practice. So first you recognize what is happening. All right, I am having a craving. I am wanting to have a glass of wine. Next up is allow. Allow the craving to build. Allow the sensation to heighten. I honestly think this is hard. I think it's really hard to run away from such a strong physical feeling. But the theory here is that in allowing, you expend less energy than when you're resisting. 
So you're just kind of letting that physical uncomfortable sensation take over you. Then you set aside your story as you feel the cravings peak. You set aside the negative thoughts telling you that you suck, that you can't do this, that this is happening again. So maybe picture the beginning of a meditation practice where you try to clear your mind and set aside the thoughts and the noise. A great way to set aside the thoughts and the noise is to use the next letter in the acronym, which is I for investigate. This is referring to physical sensations. So investigate how your body is feeling. You focus on feeling and then you move to the next step, which is name. Name the sensations you are having in your body. Is your heart racing? Are your palms sweating? Do you want to yell at the first person that stands in front of you? Name the physical sensations. Right after this, you take your pretty face and you go for the last step, which is surf. You ride the wave of emotion. In working the last few steps, the hopes are that riding it out should feel maybe not easier, but at least doable and manageable. This approach to cravings really does go hand in hand with mindfulness and minimizing the inner dialogue that makes our suffering even greater than it has to be. It's so easy to forget that cravings have a timestamp on them just as fast as they come, they go. And what I really appreciate about this practice is that in working through a craving, we are also being taught to sit with discomfort. So it's like a tool that has a bonus included in it. Learning to stay with feelings of discomfort has nothing to do with how many days sober you have. It has to do with confronting situations and feelings versus avoiding them. This acronym helps with that. So let me know if you try it out. I'm curious to get your feedback. All right, team, eso es todo. That's my weekly share on RE for this episode. And before we hear from Jim, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community. And you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. And uh, Odette, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, be interviewed today. Thank you so much for, for deciding to join us. Jim reached out to us via email. And as soon as he, I read his message, I told Paul and the team, we need to get him on the show. I really want to chat with, with Jim a little bit more. So thank you so much for being here. And let's get right into it. When was the last time you had a drink, Jim? April 7th, 2020. So a little over 70 days ago. Wow. How are you feeling? You know what? Uh, I feel great, and uh, I'm so glad I made that uh, made that decision. 
So I, I'm, I'm feeling absolutely wonderful. Congrats. It's a huge accomplishment. Can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun, Jim? So I uh, currently live on uh, the eastern shore of Maryland. And if folks can picture maybe about an hour from uh, the Roboth Beach Ocean City area. And uh, I am just uh, about ready to fully retire from public education. That's what I did for 45 plus years. I am 71 years of age and uh, I do have a family. Been married uh, 47 years, actually, June 30th, 47 years to my beautiful bride. We have three awesome kids. Of course, they're, they're grown, they're in their 40s, and uh, four beautiful grandkids. Hobbies and fun, that's evolving since becoming sober, uh, giving up alcohol. So I do like the outdoors. I do, on a regular basis, go out to the Monument Valley, Utah area and, and hike out there. Uh, I love to swim, like the beach, like to read. And I do quite a bit of uh, volunteering in schools and the church. And I've picked up golf recently, which... Uh, Sometimes I kid others and say it's going to drive me to drink because uh, I just can't quite get it right. But uh, I do enjoy uh, playing playing golf. Oh, I appreciate your sense of humor throughout all of this. And I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we have to we have to find reasons to, to keep keep it fun and, and kind of laugh at ourselves. So thanks for sharing. Right. 47 years of marriage coming up. Congrats. I mean, what's the secret? Can I ask Thank what's you. the secret? <laughs> Well, I think the secret as a kid, you know, uh, keep the wife happy, you know, happy uh, wife, happy life. But, uh, you know, I, I think, and, and I was just listening recently to an interview that you did. And, you know, it's, it's talking things through, being good listeners to, uh, to each other and uh, giving each other some space along the way. I, I, I think those things are helpful. So helpful. There is a therapist that I that I love following. His name is Dr. John Gottman. And he says that every time he gets in an argument with his wife or his kids or even friends or family, he always writes down everything that they're saying, because otherwise, he's just thinking about what he's going to say next instead of actively listening. Oh. And ooh, when I heard him, I loved it. And of course, I have yet to put it in, <laughs> in practice because it's a challenge. And I think it's definitely a skill to actively listen versus, okay, well, they said this, now I'm going to say this back. And we're always ready to speak back, right? So it's a skill for sure. Uh, actually, I'm going to write that down. That's a, that's a great uh, I use the word uh, recursive talking sometimes. If, you know, we're dealing with uh, parents or, or whoever we're dealing with, uh, you know, repeating back what the person said and, and asking the question, is that what you're actually saying to me? You know, just, but I like the idea of writing it down because then you can go back and look at it later. I love it. Yeah, we slowed down. Give listeners a little background on your history with drinking, Jim. When did you start? When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving you? And what made you make the decision to stop drinking? So my, my drinking uh, career, I'll say, started in high school. I was a little bit of an athlete in high school, and I was injured just before uh, a, a regional final. 
and uh, which devastated me. And as I look back now, I, I think that was sort of my identity in high school. It certainly wasn't academics, and I wasn't a social butterfly or anything like that. But so at the time, there were other athletes whose season was over or those that had been injured or uh, weren't able to keep their grades up, et cetera. And uh, so they were drinking beer on the weekend, and so I joined that crowd. I'll fast forward to college. Uh, I arrived at that scene, and no sooner did I put my bags down in the dorm, and somebody asked me if I wanted a beer. So, you know, to be accepted, and I'd already done some of that in high school. And I'll say in the fall of uh, college, I joined a fraternity, and in the spring of that academic year, uh, I promptly quit going to class and flunked out. My dad came to pick me up, and he was a little bit of a profile person in the area that we lived, and he informed me that uh, I was no longer welcome in the house because too many people were would be asking questions about why Jim was home when college was in session. So uh, during my high school years, I had done some work with U.S. Steel at their office building, and uh, but U.S. Steel also maintained, at the time, merchant ships on the Great Lakes. So I joined the Merchant Marines and did leave the house in a couple of weeks and sailed uh, on the Great Lakes in the winter of 1969. And I'll say that, that that was not a good place to go to, let's say, cut back on the drinking. And you're not allowed to drink or have drugs or gamble or anything on those boats, but that's far from what the actual truth was. So there was a lot of drinking, and I was just a young boy. A lot of those guys are were older, already confirmed alcoholics. And uh, so during that winter, I shoveled coal into uh, big furnaces that powered those ships. And by December, uh, mid-December, I called my dad and begged him to let me come home. And his exact words were, uh, that's fine, Jim, you might as well, you've been drafted. And uh, so my number was 10. We were still involved in the Vietnam War and came home and dropped my bags at home and immediately begged the college to allow me to come back. And uh, thank goodness they did. However, in going back to college, I resumed drinking with the fraternity. I'm going to ask you a, a, a question here. You mentioned that your dad let you know that you weren't welcome in the house, and that's when you decided to get on the ship. And my question is, do you have any recollection of how you dealt with that rejection emotionally? What was your state? Did you, did you, were you like, well, I'm leaving or, or were you really hurt? Do you remember how you felt when all of that happened? Odette, that's a great question. That's a great question. At the time, I was very resentful and thought my dad was not loving and caring. And that my circumstance, you know, a loving and caring dad would, would say, you know what, son, maybe, uh, maybe there's some things we can do to help you with the, the reasons why, mm-hmm. you know, you weren't able to maintain your grades and, and so forth and so on. And I thought he had 
basically put his reputation and career over what my circumstances were. Some people call that tough love, and that's exactly what it was. And now that I look back, he made the, he made a great decision. Mm. And I'm sure it was hard on him. We I've never had the opportunity. He, he passed many years ago, but we never had the chance to sort of talk that through. But that's a great question. I, I was I was pretty angry at the time, pretty resentful, and especially with the company that I had to keep on those boats. It was rough. Yeah, I can imagine. And it it makes me feel good listening to you say now that that resentment has come full circle. And now in hindsight, you can you can see that as the opportunity that was for you to grow, even though the conditions were awful and, and hard. But at the same time, it seems like there's a lot of acceptance and you've stirred away from that resentment. So good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally get it. Now that you're a parent, too, you know, we're all just doing the best that we can. I have two kids, too. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sure I'm going to make so many mistakes. Yeah, yeah, right. So it, it and it helped me too, as you know, we we have three great kids, but uh, you know, it, it helped us in in helping them. Of course, those those experiences. What happened afterwards uh, once you were back in college and resumed drinking? So, you know, it's like being back out on the streets again. You know, we just got right back to it, and like I said, we. Uh, had a little thing that I was involved with uh, and we lost a pledge class and then we were put on probation and then we lost our house and thrown off campus and uh, after I was gone we even lost our charter so we went through those things and you know uh, back to it and drink heavily every every single day of life however I did meet my beautiful bride uh, during that time and she at least got me going back to class. And, uh, and again, I'll fast forward to say that I graduated, barely graduated. And I'll insert Odette, I was a Spanish major for a while <laughs> uh, until somebody encouraged me to go down to uh, the Longhorn Bar and have a couple before my Spanish four final, which I slept through. But anyway, I changed majors and went into the field of education, got a job. My wife and I both got jobs uh, here on the Eastern Shore and uh, was very fortunate to find an area that I felt was just a little bit more important than my drinking. So as some people use the phrase, you know, I became a functional alcoholic, closet alcoholic, some people use that. And did not find myself in circumstances where I was drinking before work or drinking in between activities. I would always wait until the day was done. But when the day was done, all bets were off. You know, as soon as the kids were taken care of and whatnot, it was, let's break out the beer and let's get going here. So that continued, um, Odette, for, you know, the 45 plus years I had a just an absolute wonderful career in uh, public education. However, as I came close to semi-retirement, I had more time on my hands, which became a problem. And I found myself going back to maybe even college drinking habits, not that crazy, but you know, uh, the volume 
began to increase. So it wasn't three or four beers. It's, you know, five and six and seven and eight, especially on the weekends. And if we have football, another old habit that came back, I was able to get a medical card and got back into that uh, a little bit. So things were starting to go downhill. So a couple of things happened. I started talking to an extended family member who was somebody had been sober for quite some time, and he was encouraging. Two of our daughters, one only intermittently drinks, you know, might go four or five months and not drink. And I was impressed by that. And I have another daughter that's actually going to be a year sober in August. And I I was just really struck by that. She was not a big drinker, but she just decided to give it up. And the more heartfelt story, uh, we have a couple of granddaughters that live close by, and one of which is just turned 14, and she came down to play Skippo with Pop-Pop. And I just happened to be uh, drinking a uh, Heineken N.A. that day. I was just experimenting a little bit, see if I like that kind of beer. And she noticed it. And uh, she said, Pop-Up, I'm really proud of you. And Odette, that sort of got to me. So, you know, and uh, I, I'll say in one hand, you know, that's a, that's a compliment. That's a motivator. Yes. But that was a little bit of a stab, too, that she would notice it. So those things all sort of converged together and led me uh, on April 7th to say, you know what, I don't need this. After 50 years. It's never too late. And I am tearing up over here just listening to your story. And, and the fact that if you, if you, if someone were to see your life from the outside, everything looks great. You know, you mentioned the word closet alcoholic, you were high functioning, nothing was lacking, but there was something inside of you. Of course, there was this internal struggle. And I'm just curious, because you've been with your wife for this long, did you notice that outside of you just having more free time and more time to drink, were some of your relationships eroding? Or did you notice just that you were maybe not as present? What else were you starting to notice during this slow descent? You're very perceptive and ask great questions. Yes, it does. It does erode a relationship. And I would say, and again, you just uh, recently talked to somebody uh, who went through a, a relationship situation. And so what comes out of that, you know, you begin to drink and uh, your tolerance, your flexibility, you know, just being a pleasant person uh, begins to dis- dissipate. And that certainly was escalating. You know, the more I would drink, it, it, it would just, you know, if... Even the slightest little thing, you know, her saying to me, you know, the honeydew kinds of things. Well, I just did something, you know, and now you're asking me something else. And, you know, over over small things, small potatoes and the drinking did affect the relationship. It's, it's interesting for me. I also noticed that just irritability. I just also struggle with re- depression, but one of the symptoms, and it was the same for my father who decided to quit drinking late in his 40s, just that irritability. I was just so irritable, and I know that's not my normal personalities. Absolutely. The mm-hmm. moment with your granddaughter, 
I can imagine how much of sobriety fuel that was for you. And and I just want to let you know that you are changing the path for the legacy of your family. And it's hard to see it when you're in it. But I do feel like we pass on generational pain and generational habits and generational traits. And I know that probably was equally hard as equally gratifying, but I just hope you know the impact of what you are doing right now for your family and for your kids and for your grandkids. So I hope you feel really proud, Jim. Well, those are motivating words for me as well. And uh, again, uh, you could probably sense a little crack in my voice as I was describing that. Sometimes we don't notice, you know, the habits that we get into, and especially surrounding alcohol, the habits that we get into that people notice, and yet they don't say anything. They they either accept it as part of your identity or don't want to cause a big problem. But it is a problem, you know, and people do notice. So uh, I'm just so glad she said that, you know, that it's part of the story. We all come to sobriety. Uh, at different times and for different reasons, you know, that that's that's part of the story here. It sounds like recovery. You You're welcome. And now recovery runs in your family. You said one of your daughters is sober as well. And that made me smile yes. a lot because my dad is my sober buddy. And when I get together with him, oh, there's right? yeah, there's two of us at Christmas who are just cheering with sparkling cool. water. And it, it is it is really <laughs> cool to be able to to look at the other person in the same setting because I have a lot of friends in recovery, but it's really neat to share it in your family. So that that's yeah. awesome. Do you yeah. get cravings, Jim? How do you handle cravings? I mean, 70 plus days in, do you still... <sighs> Do you still struggle with wanting the drink? Yes. Yes, I do. So actually, I had one. Uh, I had one today and um, I uh, immediately. So I think of halt, you know, the, you know, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Or are you tired? And there's some other letters I think we can we can attach to that. And today, my tea was I was thirsty. And I thought, you know, I'd, I'd just like to have a nice cold beer. But, you know, you put your seatbelt on, you grit your teeth. I grabbed a water and had a big old gulp of cold water, and that helped me through it. And then I reflect on the fact, hey, uh, Jim, you're in recovery. So these things are going to happen. Don't let it frighten you. Don't let it shake your tree. You'll get through this, you know, Odette got through it and other people were getting through it. So you can too. So I just try to be a little bit of a little bit of a cheerleader. You have to be your own cheerleader and you have to give yourself a lot of grace because 70 days is a long time. But at the same time, your body is still adapting and cravings happen and you will get triggered and you will out of the blue, because it seems like this one was out of the blue. I feel like for me, that's when I would get a little bit more frustrated when I was like, but nothing happened. But it's emotions sometimes hit us, <laughs> hit us later or things remind us our brain just works in very mysterious ways. So you're doing a great job. Absolutely. And you said someone suggested this the podcast to you. Can I ask about that? Who who recommended Recovery Elevator? Or how did you stumble upon just resources for this journey? So I started listening to podcasts, you know, you know, NPR kinds of things. And I thought, you know what, I'll bet there's a good podcast of people who are 
recovering. And so Recovery Elevator actually had like five stars or something. I, I, I think I did a Google search and that came up. So I thought, okay, I'm going to put my toe in the water and see if, if it sounds okay. And it was awesome. It was awesome. So I made that part of, you know, not a weekly routine every single day as I was doing some walking and so forth and so on. I would listen to RE and uh, it's, it's made a huge difference in my life. It really has. Oh, that's great news. I love that we're part of your daily routine. And luckily, there's almost 300 episodes and there's a lot of content out yes. there. And NPR has some fabulous podcasts. I love you mentioning them. It's, it's great to just mm-hmm. be mindful in whatever it is that we're listening to. But there's a lot of good content. I love hearing that you're going out on walks and distracting yourself. Did you notice that you had to change certain aspects of your routine to kind of avoid what you were normally doing? Uh, Absolutely. So I would like to just mention something pretty quickly that I do that I think is impactful in my journey. Of course. So when I wake up in the morning, uh, I've put together, I don't know how many I have them actually sitting here on, uh, on the table, but I have about 20 index cards that have messages to myself. And I look at them every single day of life. And the first one, uh, I'm looking at it now, uh, reasons to stop. And I wrote down 18 of them. Uh, For example, I'll be in better health. Number two, opens up my schedule. Number three, frees my thinking and so forth. So I look at that and I remind myself every day because it's not just the conscious level of being sober, but it's your subconscious level too. And I try to reinforce that in my mind every single morning of life. And there, I have messages to, you know, other messages to myself, you know, it's your canvas, Jim, make it awesome. Surround yourself with really good people and good things will happen and on and on and on. And I look at those every single day in an attempt to reinforce this journey that I'm not, that I'm on. So that is really helpful. And then, you know, there's, I've uh, been reading a book called No Mud, No Lotus um, by a uh, a Buddhist monk that talks about, you know, dealing with struggles in life and and, uh, achieving happiness and so forth. That's really impacted me. And there's a book out now called uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. That's really good. It's on the bestseller list. I'm, I jump on Reddit. Uh, this Naked Mind. Actually, I not only read that through the first time, but I, I'm reading it again and probably will read it three times because sometimes the first time you look or hear something, you don't all sponge it all in. So um, part of the routine is also to meditate. I've never meditated meditated in my entire life. I've never done yoga or any of those things. But you know what? They make a difference. They make a difference in your spirit. I am very inspired by your willingness to just continue to learn and just be open. I feel like there is this massive myth and stereotype about growing older and being set in our ways and not being open to change or open to new opinions. And 
you seem so just curious by nature. Have you always been this way? I mean, I know your career and background is related to this, but it is just very inspiring mm -hmm. to me that you are not only breaking the stigma of like, it's never too late, but also breaking the stigma of like, you are a student for life. That's what I'm thinking of. And it's just very refreshing. I don't know that I'm, you know, they use the phrase lifelong learner. I'm, I'm not so sure I would label myself that, but particularly at this time into these 70 days, you know, the mind is clear. I'm not into the routine. Well, uh, it, will it be four o'clock today or five o'clock today that I can start to uh, go visit my, my friend, Sam Adams? You know, that real estate is all gone now. You know, I don't, I don't have to plan when I'm going to have my next drink or sneak one when nobody's looking. All of that is off the plate. And so maybe with uh, more real estate for those kinds of things or uh, a cleaner plate, uh, I have more room for these other things. There's definitely a lot of more time, but also a lot of more space and capacity in our mind. So I love that you're just filling it up with new tools and new resources. I've actually seen that Atomic Habits book pop up on my social media multiple times. So I feel like I'm mm -hmm. going to have to, I'm going to have to pick it up. And the idea of the morning, mon I mean, now we call them mantras, of course, these, this new term that's been used all around, but that's what you're doing and, and you're rewriting stories for yourself and, and it takes it takes you reminding yourself of those things every single day and and you're doing it you're yeah. doing so many right things it's it's great it's great to hear this do you do anything before bedtime or do you have a I know you mentioned earlier in the interview that you would wait until you were done with everything you needed to do in the day so at nighttime do you find that it's a more challenging time of the day I do not uh, and just like I just started this recently but because I have these <laughs> these index cards in in the morning, I have a couple of index cards on my bedstand that I look over, and so I'm a prayerful uh, person, and uh, so I have some of those things on on my list that I look at, and and I try to end the day thinking about things that I'm grateful for. I try to put some positive thoughts in my mind before lights out, if you know what I mean. So I do have a little card besides, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I'll remember, you know, but no, I, I have a little card there and uh, I look through those things and, and try to end the day on a little bit of a positive note. Have you noticed any changes in your sleep patterns? I have. So that's a really good question. The dreams are just off the chain. And when I say that, typically when you hear somebody say that, you know, it, it, there's bad associated with it. The clarity of the dreams is just amazing. I've not had that experience in a long, long time and probably because of alcohol. So it's been interesting. And I've even had some that, you know, I'm close with say, you know what, Jim, you, you need to write some of that stuff down. But when I wake up at, you know, who knows, 2A, I don't feel like recording that at the, at the time. So I do sleep more soundly and the dreams have been. Did you find you had uh, more, let's say, clear dreams or profound dreams? Yes. When you were 
Yes, at the beginning, a lot. And also just very deep sleep that I know that I wasn't getting. And the other part is mostly like you mentioned, clear dreams, not with a negative association, but so clear that they seem real. And then the uh, once or twice, you do get a drinking dream from time to time. And it's so clear that I would wake up and be like, wait, wait, what did I do last night that I would have to double check and almost retrace my steps and and luckily remind myself that like, okay, it was just a dream, but it's a different, we just reach a different level of consciousness too while we're sleeping. And I feel like you're doing something very powerful by ending the day with gratitude and with a couple of more of those index cards, because a lot of transcribing what's going on inside of our brain at a deeper level happens when we are resting properly. So I, I see what yes. why that's happening. So much better. And I have, I've, I've uh, had two where I thought I had opened a bottle of beer and uh, it woke me up and I thought, oh, thank God, thank God. I had, I, I, I didn't retreat. So it's, it's, you know, my heart's beating and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, anyway. it's, it's a relief. So I feel like so much of <laughs> uh, so much of the sober journey is feeling like a kid again in so many ways, because I just mm-hmm. I, I have a three and a five year old. And, and when they wake up in oh, nightmares, awesome. when they wake up, I'm like, it was just a dream. And then I feel like I have to do it to myself. So I'm like, oh, I feel like yeah, a kid again. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely bullseye. Yep. Yep. What have you learned about yourself that's really surprised you throughout this journey, Jim? I had a lot of self-doubt whether I could do this. And uh, as you can tell, I'm a note taker. And I would write notes to myself, you know, as I was planning my week or my day or, you know, whatever I had to do. And I would always say, you know, no drinks till five or I'm not going to drink on Monday or, you know, try to build fences around all of this stuff. And I just wasn't able to get there. And what I learned was, you know what, we, we all can do this. So I learned that, you know, initially in my planning and wanting to do it, I just felt like I couldn't for whatever the reason I was deserving of having drinks. But in the end, I, I found out that in fact, I can do it. And I know, as they say, if I can do it, anybody that's listening to this can do it. Yes, that's self-confidence. And it sounds like you're really working on on that cognitive dissonance of like, we tell ourselves we can do it in the morning. And then at nighttime, we, we feel like we're self-betraying. But you seem like you've gotten to a point where those two beliefs have aligned and you truly believe that you can do it. And it doesn't mean that every day is super easy. But once you really believe that you can be there, you just baby steps your way there. So I love hearing that. What are you what are you excited about right now? Now that your life has transitioned with this? What makes you what makes you excited? You mentioned earlier, you know, I I feel like a, a, a new person in life. And so I am finding that the possibilities are opening up for me. And again, I'm no longer shackled by the fact that I got to beat it back to the house and run someplace where nobody's going to see me and sit down again with, with my buddy Sam and start drinking beer. 
I don't have to do that anymore. My schedule is not surrounded or attached to uh, drinking. So what I'm excited about are things that ordinarily that I wouldn't do that I'm going to do. And uh, so in the next couple of days, Father's Day, I'm headed out your direction. I'm headed out to uh, out west and uh, I'm going to relocate, help a family member relocate a car east to Michigan. And, you know, uh, my drinking probably may not prevent that trip from happening, but it would just, it would cloud it. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading all kinds of books and talking to people about projects and volunteer opportunities. And I'm, I'm excited about all those things. Yes. Taking back your it's power. It's a new life. Yes. It's a new identity. And, and how cool that you get to be the one who builds that and you're not rushing through it so that you can get to your drink at the end of the day. That's, that's exciting. I can't wait to hear more. We're going to have to keep in touch, Jim. <laughs> I'm excited. All right. So it looks like we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these okay. questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabulous. Are you ready? Sure. Go for it. All right. What is your favorite non-alcoholic beverage? So I'm a vanilla guy. Unfortunately, that uh, just uh, flavored water. I, uh, actually, right now I have a lemon flavored uh, Nestle Splash water. What is is a drinking myth that you've seen debunked while on this journey. That, you know, if, if you're old, there's no sense in trying to stop drinking. And any time in your life, you can beat this and you can do it. Mic drop. <laughs> if you could talk to day one, Jim, what would you say to him? Jim, as you walk through day one, uh, walk through that door, it's going to be awesome. You are not going to regret one second of walking through that door and attempting to do what you're doing. What are some words of wisdom that you can share with our listeners? Maybe someone who's considering quitting drinking, but hasn't decided. So something I've thought about, you know, you hear the whole thing of, I should have done this sooner. But what I've come to realize is I could have done this sooner. Sometimes we, again, shackle ourselves with, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of weak. I, you know, I don't have self-control. No, you've got it. Just, just let it, let it go. Let it open up. And places like RE are places that you can go and get that reinforcement. So we're, we're a family out there. We're ready to help you and you can do it. If you can come up with your own, you may have to say adios to alcohol line. What would it be? Adios, good riddance, and um, see you later, alligator. I don't know. I don't have a good phrase for that. <laughs> That's perfect, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I learned a lot from you today, and I can't wait to share the story with our listeners. Well, Odette, it's been an honor, and I thank you for the opportunity. And once again... You're knocking it out of the park, and uh, I so much enjoyed listening to you, and I so much appreciate the opportunity to be involved with uh, RE. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate it. Take care, okay? Okay. All right. I will. Very well, team. That wraps up our interview for today.
And before I say adios, I want to encourage you all to go back to the intro and write down the meaning of the acronym that we learned today, RASINS. I'm pretty sure my English as a second language pronunciation of this is completely wrong. But once again, it is R-A-S-I-N-S. Rosins? Rosins? Raisin Bran again? Please, please someone correct me. <laughs> Anyways, I encourage you to write it down and maybe put it into practice this week as your challenge or your homework assignment. Write it out. And next time a craving hits, put it into practice. Maybe you don't have as many physical cravings anymore, but you can try this out with just any strong, uncomfortable emotion that hits you. I don't know about you guys, but I still get a lot of instances where an uncomfortable emotion arrives, and I need to learn how to navigate around that. Add this tool to your tool belt and go buy yourself a scoop of ice cream after navigating through a hard situation. We deserve to celebrate ourselves, and even the little things deserve being celebrated. And honestly, it's just never a bad idea to have ice cream. Also, we had an email that we received from a listener, and this listener sent us their personalized, you may have to say adios to booze if line, and I wanted to share it on here since it's such a good one. You may have to say adios to booze if your golfing birdie flask turns into a par flask, then turns into a bogey flask. Any golfers out there? Recovery elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. Talk to you next week.